Kidashta, a community Judaica store in the heart of Moda'in. Kidashta, a classy yet moderately priced Judaica store in the center of Jerusalem. Kidashta, a full-service website that introduces quality products, books, silver, jewelry, and mezuzot. Kidashta, the personal touch, in the bell tower in downtown Jerusalem. And Kidashta, Moda'in in the Kaiser neighborhood. And of course, www.judaica4u, the numeral four, the letter u.com. Shalom and welcome again to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and you're listening to Israel National Radio, and by gosh, you've landed on the Noahide Nation Show. And of course, I've got a very good and dear friend of mine who's my co-host, uh, Mr. Prescott Johnson. Prescott, come on in here. How you doing? I'm doing good, Ray, and uh, I hope things are well there. Uh, things are going very well here. Uh, I may I may have mentioned to you that uh, my wife and I went out to purchase a home gymnasium, and uh, <laughs> I have the luxury of after recording this show, I get to put that together. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we could extend this for a few hours, I'd be very grateful. But anyway, <laughs> sadly, we've only got an hour. So I yeah. don't want to get in the way of progress. <laughs> yeah, progress in completing my honeydew list, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Prescott and I over the last couple of weeks have been really hitting hard on this whole idea of uh, progressive liberalism and the Torah. Obviously, if you've listened over the last couple of weeks, you've come to realize that Prescott and I are very much Torah-oriented and not so much uh, progressive liberalism-oriented. Even though we, we know the arguments and why they argue it and who they're arguing it to, we are against it. And we'd like to uh, go on today uh, and, and share more about how, what progressive liberals believe and what Torah believes, and by default, what Prescott and I believe. And I'm sure you know a lot of folks out there, Prescott, are wondering, yeah, this is all wonderful. I've listened to three hours of this stuff. I, you know, I agree with you, but you know, I'm only one person. What can what can I do? And I think. At the end of the show, we might be able to provide a couple solutions that, that they can do. I've got uh, you know a few ideas that maybe we'll go ahead and kick around at the end of the show and, and see if we can't spark some uh, motivation out yeah. there and, and get people to, even though you are only one person, one person can move mountains because in the background are many more people. And that's the approach that we have to use here. And if we all take care of our little corner of the world, oddly enough, the whole world becomes taken care of. So let's we'll get to that at the end of the show. Sound good oh, to I'll you, Preston? I'll, I'll be very interested in hearing what your uh, what your ideas are. Well, I, guys, I uh, hope it's worth waiting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do too. I I know. Uh, I, I believe that uh, didn't the U.S. Army do um, a whole ad campaign on an army of one? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. So. And there really, when you get right down to it, there is no such thing. And yet, that's the only <laughs> thing that it has to do with is yeah. it, it, you taking care of yourself and having an attitude of taking care of others. You become an army of one. Mm -hmm. And it's not really an army of one because the army of one has somebody standing next to them and that one has somebody standing next to them and next to them and next to them. Before you know it, you've got the whole world covered. 
Yeah. And so that's a, an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, an army of one. Uh, how about a Noahide army of one? Or Hashem's yeah. army of one? Whatever it takes. Well, I believe the Torah also invokes a, almost an exponential power there when uh, when you have one person, maybe it's elsewhere in the Tanakh, but if one person can uh, route 10 people, then two, uh, then an army of, or then two can put 10,000 to flight or something to that effect, that there's a, what one person can do is significant enough with Hashem's help, but if you can get two people Right, it's, the math is very basic. It's, we're, we're talking about banding together in, in unity and power and numbers, but those power and numbers start with one. Yeah. So let's start from there, and uh, we'll get to this at the, at the end of the show. And in the meantime, uh, let's go ahead and dive into some of these progressive liberal ideas and their aggressive nature towards mankind and society as, as a whole. And one of the things I, I, I find utterly, fa- oh, I find the whole thing fascinating and yet absurd at the same time, but uh, uh, gun control. Now, you know, let's face it, nobody is advocating, you know, buying guns, getting guns, and nobody is certainly going to advocate, get rid of your guns. Uh, that's not what Prescott and I are here for. I happen to be a gun owner. I happen to believe in the right to protect oneself. And in fact, so does Torah. Mm-hmm. Did you know that it is a mitzvot, as odd as that may sound, it is a mitzvot and a violation of Torah. If you know that somebody is coming to kill you, you have to go out and kill them first. Why? Because it's a preservation of your life. Yeah, but now some some uh, someone is going to say, well, why is my life more precious than the person who's coming to attack me? Uh, that isn't even uh, a question worth answering. <laughs> because it's not. Because in all honesty, what right does that person have to come and kill you? There is no, there is no justification in the eyes of Torah for somebody to come and, and kill you. You must go and kill them. And it, the, the, in that case, it would have to be self-defense, right? Right, right. Well, and I guess this is, I guess where, where I may have been leading with this is just exactly that point. That uh, the minute that somebody has to start asking that question means that they've already got a warped sense of what morality is because they're, they're making the assumption that somebody who desires to kill someone else, intends on killing someone else, begins acting out on that intention is somehow equated in, in, or is equal to the person that they intend to harm. And right. if that's... If that's the case, then we have no reason to have courts of justice because the the criminal has has the same uh, has, has the same standing as any victim, and uh, you know so why why even why even uh, have courts? Why have jails? Why have uh, any punishment for wrongdoers if a wrongdoer has the exact same standing as their victims? Right, and it's the old uh, uh, saying that. It's not the guns that kill people. It's people who kill people. The gun is just an instrument. And if you ban guns, then you need to ban knives. Then you need to ban bricks. I mean, people uh, people are just that way. I mean, they want to kill you. They'll find a way to kill you. Well, so well, it's not the gun, but let me let me let's well, before okay. we get into this too deeply, let me tell you what a liberal thinks of of gun control. 
right. <laughs> I find this fascinating. Uh, very much so, and you'll know what I mean when I get done mm-hmm. reading it. But for them, uh, liberty, as, as it relates to gun control, means the freedom to protect yourself, your family, and your property with deadly force if necessary. People have a right to keep guns for such a purpose. People also have a right to use guns in sporting activities and in the event that citizens should be called uh, on to form a citizen militia. (laughs) A citizen militia. We do not, however, have the right to own all the latest people-killing technology. The people, through the government, can restrict some of the more deadly weapons being sold today. Now... I agree with that, again, to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, last, this last part. Interestingly enough, the first part sounds rather amazing, given the <laughs> fact I took it off of a liberal site. That's why I yeah. was saying, you know, I think in the first show, that it's interesting that these seem to be the old-time liberals on many of these issues, and then we have progressive liberalism, and then we have Torah. It's like almost like three categories, and this is kind of like one of those. It's startling here. These people, these liberals, almost sound like they believe in the Constitution. But then it gets scary towards the end, where they yep. think government should control how much technology you can have, which then now leads to an interpretation of what is a deadly technology, what is a killing technology that people shouldn't have. That's right. open to interpretation. Some would think a, you know, what's a, a killing technology is a three. 57. Others would say, well, a nuclear weapon. Well, and yeah, I would happen to agree with <laughs> not letting <laughs> citizens have nuclear weapons. But as far as a 357, you know, <laughs> I have a sign on my house that says, insured by Smith & Wesson. You yeah. know, so... <laughs> well, well, you know, you can... Uh you they can they can i guess sort of take that extreme position of uh you know we we obviously don't want uh people running around with uh you know fully automatic weapons and so on and so forth or or go to the more extreme we don't want people having nuclear weapons in their personal possession uh and if that was really the concern you're right it's kind of like okay maybe we can have the government uh you know uh restrict the possession of nuclear weapons by by its citizenry. But that's really not where the problem is or where it takes it to. Here in Canada, we um, in we engaged in uh, establishing a, uh, a gun registration system. And it came about as the result of a, uh, a mass killing at uh, the uh, Cole Polytechnic school in uh, in Quebec a man went in with uh, with a gun and shot 14 women at the school and the result of that was that the parents of uh, particularly the mothers of these uh, slain uh, women uh, lobbied the government for a registry for uh, guns I guess I think they called it the long barrel or the long gun registry and and they they ended up creating a uh, a department that cost over a billion dollars <laughs> for what really would amount to if somebody had a um, uh, had a, a relatively reasonable computer and half a brain for programming a database could have set up 
uh, a system that would have been very cheap to operate. But once you get government involved in these kinds of activities, the cost escalates and escalates and escalates. And it's just, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, and, and maybe bringing in the healthcare system here. Ideally, you would think that if one person controlled the healthcare system, that it would be more cost efficient. You wouldn't have a, a, all of these additional expenses. And the irony is that what should be the cheapest method by some, you know, some reasonable logic, uh, you know, if you have the government making all these choices and you don't have so many other people involved in the decision making about how much this is going to cost and so on and so forth, it should be cheaper. It should be cheaper, but it never is. Mm-hmm. And so when the government implements something like the uh, a gun registry, something that should be very cheap to implement became very costly uh, to the tune of uh, $1 billion and heading towards $2 billion. And and for what purpose? It was supposed to uh, enable police to be able to find criminals. Mm-hmm. And to date, and to date, they haven't been able to use the registry for finding criminals. All it does is it says uh, if a gun has been stolen by a private individual, it just tells them where the gun came from. But the person who used the gun illegally in a crime wasn't the one who went and updated the registry and said, hey, I now own the gun. Right, right. So, and and it, during the, and the real problem with this, the real problem with this is that the young man who committed those atrocities was mentally ill. Mm. How much money was directed <laughs> towards the mental health associations across the country to help people with mental illness. Not one penny, $1 billion for a gun registry and nothing for where the real problem was, was somebody who had a mental illness and was untreated and and wasn't being helped. Well, sadly, when you look at somebody who has murdered another human being, or let's face it, murdered any life form, I don't care if it's a human being or an animal, to ask the question whether this person is mentally ill or not is, is absurd because at any level, I don't care what it is, there is something mentally wrong and, and you are deranged for some reason uh, to cause you to want to kill somebody. Even mm-hmm. if it's in the you know spur of the moment where, where you do that. And I'm not saying in self-defense, because obviously you must defend your life. Crimes, your crimes of passion. Life. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So even at an emotional level, uh, we know emotions you know, make very intelligent people quite stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many cases, we see acts of violence and you know, murder committed by people who are just acting out upon their emotions, which puts them in a mental state that probably isn't too good, though it's not considered dysfunctional in, in uh, society itself. Yeah, but you're right. You know, when you start getting governments involved in this kind of thing, it's it's all up to their uh, interpretation as to what is a, a deadly weapon. And then, you know, as long as they can continue to uh, raise your taxes and receive taxes for an alleged effort or perceived effort on their part to uh, keep things safe, is it's always going to exist. It's interesting yeah. to me, though, how another segment of the government. Uh, known as the police departments, um, <laughs> you know, people who are highly trained and paid to keep us safe are forever trying to find better weapons for themselves. Why? Yeah. Because the criminal element out there is always getting better weapons. 
So yeah. that yeah. then leads one to believe that in order for you to even maintain uh, a competitive fairness, you need to be forever getting those kinds of weapons just to defend yourself should it become necessary. I mean, if somebody yeah. uh, comes into uh, your house and they've got you know uh, AK-47s and you've got a little six-shooter, you could have some real problems. Yeah. So a lot of people, that's why they believe that, my gosh, if the criminal element can get AK-47s, why shouldn't I be able to get an AK-47? So, you know, you're always going to have that debate as well. But I think you're right from the, the mental illness standpoint. But I think it's just, again, from a Torah standpoint, Torah elevates us above the animals and, and mm -hmm. elevates man closer and closer and closer to Hashem so that if you even have a weapon, you would never use it. You would never use it to harm anybody, to harm anything. You wouldn't need to. It wouldn't even be a first thought to use it. Right. And right. if everyone were to think that way, then you really wouldn't have a problem with guns. And it's not the fact that, again, that guns don't kill people. People kill people. What we have yep. a problem with is people. We have a people yep. problem. So... Yep. That's uh, you know my my take on this, but I, I I find it absolutely staggering that a liberal position would be that you have every right to defend yourself and your family and your property with deadly force if necessary, which then takes me to a progressive liberalism category that basically uh, doesn't say that you know their their belief is if uh, somebody doesn't like guns, you know they they don't go out and buy one. But if a progressive liberal doesn't like guns, then no one should have one. And that's yep. what we see happening in governments today, trying to take all the guns away from its citizenry. And once you do that, tyranny can happen overnight. And there's countries who have, who have done this. I mean, Australia had done it, uh, has done it recently, and their murder rate statistics have skyrocketed. So, obviously, removing the guns from the equation hasn't helped reduce murders. In fact, it's increased mm -hmm. it, which to me is a justification for the more guns you have, the less murder there's going to be, <laughs> which is what's happened here in Texas. You know, we had the, you know, the horrible yep. thing at Fort Hood where you know, a soldier went on and, and shot and killed 13 people and wounded 32. I mean, it's horrific. But prior to that, in the same town, Colleen, in a restaurant... Uh, somebody came in with a gun and shot and killed a number of people. Well, it turns out one of these people was a relative of a politician who then ran for governor, and she enacted a law that, uh, a conceal and carry law, that you're allowed to carry, with all this license, you can carry a weapon that is concealed, with the idea that had this person pulled a gun in a restaurant and there was people in the restaurant who had conceal and carry license, this guy wouldn't have got one shot off. Or right. if he'd have gotten one shot off, it would have been his last shot. Get two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, I mean, the argument is simple. The math is simple. Yeah. The argument is weak from a progressive liberal standpoint, and the only reason they want to take your guns from you is because then they know it's easier for them to control you. Yes. Now, who who's one of the most uh, famous progressives um, in the media these days? Um, it'd be. Uh, the famous uh, documentarian Michael Moore. <laughs> yes. Now, uh. now, 
of course, one of the one of the documentaries that made him famous was the Bowling for Columbine, which was all about gun control. And uh, while while much of the uh, uh, so-called documentary has been since uh, debunked as being contrived and manipulated, and uh, many of the situations were actually set up ahead of time uh, for the for for making his political point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up coming up into Canada after making the case that Americans have all these guns and, uh, and was talking about the statistics in terms of how many murders have been committed per capita versus say Canada, a country to the North. And then when he comes up to Canada, he ends up start, he starts talking about the statistics about gun ownership in Canada. And it turns out that gun ownership in Canada per capita is about the same as the U S <laughs> don't confuse me with the facts. Well, it, 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 as a Canadian, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm, I know that there's so many Canadians who just, you know, they think that gun uh, Americans are gun happy and they, they just don't understand. It. And I'm thinking they're no more gun happy than we are. And for Michael Moore to then say that the reason why, why there are all of these murders is because of the possession of guns. And then says in his movie, completely hypocritical, uh, that we've only got, uh, uh, that we've got as many guns up here in Canada per capita as we do in the U S then please explain to me, Mr. Moore, why then are there more murders committed in the U S per capita than in Canada? He's making the argument that it has to do with gun possession, right? And it's not. Because if it was on the merits of just gun possession being the only factor that played a role in gun use, then we should have as many people using guns and committing crimes in Canada as what you do in the U.S. And so owning a gun has nothing to do with crime. Well, I consider Michael Moore a progressive liberal. Oh, he is. And (laughs) and to a progressive liberal, the ends justify the means. And, and that's why he can lie in his documentaries. Exactly. And, yep. He will lie and, uh, through his teeth to convey his point with the hopes of getting you to believe his lie. And that's yeah. what progressive liberalism does. It has to. Yeah. Because otherwise, yep. the majority of it doesn't have make any common sense at all. It, no. it, I mean, it just doesn't. And this is just another example of that. I mean, yeah. you know, how do you uh, think that uh, you know, removing guns from everybody is going to prevent the criminals from using their guns to to kill you and to rob exactly. you and to rape you? And yeah. uh, I mean, it makes no sense at all. And we've seen it no. tested, uh, we've seen it tried, and we've seen it fail miserably. And interestingly enough, in a place like Texas, where people can carry guns with them concealed. Oddly enough, I, I guess a criminal probably looks at everybody and has to be thinking, now, does that person look like they'd be carrying a gun or not? And as long <laughs> as you put that thought into their mind, there's a good chance they're going to walk away, and that's what you want. And guess what? The gun never went off. <laughs> yeah. So consider that, politicians, or I should say progressive <laughs> liberals. Consider, consider that argument. So, and here we are again, uh, bumping up against the bottom of the hour. And Prescott, we're going to have to run on out of here to, to take this break, or uh, we might get spanked. So, let's go ahead and take that break. Stick around with us, folks. We'll be right back.
This is Cookie Monster. Me love Purim in Israel with all the yummy cookies and home intentions from GreaseGoodies.com. Me send care package to Israeli soldiers, but me eat all the cookies. Um, nom, 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 this Purim, send a Gilly's Goodies gift basket to family and friends in Israel by going to GilliesGoodies.com. That's G-I-L-I-S Goodies.com. Um, nom, 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 nom. This is Tamar Yona of Israel National Radio. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners for your generous support during our Shevathon fundraiser. Our 12-hour live televised program brought together all of our show hosts and our listeners and was as fun for us as it was for you. You can continue throughout the year to show your support by clicking on the Support Us banner on the top of IsraelNationalRadio.com. Thank you again from Arut Sheva, Israel National Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of this Noahide Nation show. And Prescott and I were talking during the break. You know, here we've been discussing, uh, you know, a, a quite a bit of Torah and quite a bit of how progressive liberals and liberals themselves are thinking. And in relating it to the Torah, uh, we, of course, are relating it to the seven Noahide laws. And we realized over the last couple of weeks we hadn't even uh, provided those uh, for some of our new listeners. <laughs> Listeners, or you know, some of our curious listeners who have never heard of that or don't remember what they all are. So let me, you know, kick this one over to Prescott, and uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us what those seven laws are? Uh, sure. The um, uh, they are prohibitions, uh, by and large, against blasphemy, prohibition against idolatry, prohibition against committing murder, prohibition against sexual immorality, prohibition against theft and a prohibition against uh, eating the limb from a living animal, and which we understand to extend into uh, how we treat animals and so on. And uh, the last is to uh, establish courts of justice that allow the implementation of these laws uh, to bring about a just society. And if you have any questions on this or comments or you know problems, uh, certainly feel free to <laughs> simply send us an email. Let us know about it. And you can always do that at noahide at israelnationalradio.com. And I appreciate the opportunity to do that a little bit of housekeeping. So let's go ahead and, and get back into this. And oh, by the way, there's a number of different books. We've, you know, Prescott and I have done some recent interviews on uh, books and, you know, authors and editors from books that, you know, talk about the Noahide laws in great depth and their applications. There's plenty of material out there that you can be studying. In fact, you can get a bunch of it at the Noahide Nation's website. So, you know, feel free to dive on there. There's lots of articles and books that you can purchase if you like. Uh, just, you know, whatever you need to do to find out more about this because we honestly believe this is the only roadmap to peace, the only one that's going to be successful. We're going to go ahead and, and close out this show by talking about a you know few other things and you know what I, I I want to do and Prescott and I we definitely want to do the courts of justice and talk about that a little bit. But one thing that I want to bring up that you know a lot of people are confused about and even after we're done they may be confused <laughs> still uh, or maybe more confused let's see uh, but it has to do with uh, taxation 
And a liberal, you know, once again, defining taxation using the the idea of liberty, uh, liberty is found within a system. That system does not happen by itself. It is created and supported by us, the people, and it is funded by our labors. The money we pay in taxes is what allows us to thrive in liberty and work in fairness. Reasonable taxation is necessary because without it, many of us would find it difficult to get paid even a fraction of what we are paid now. And those who benefit more from the system should expect to pay more to help support it. Now, there's a lot of things being stated in here, but first of all, uh, some of it is absolute truth. With liberty, liberty is not free. Freedom is not free. And one of the things, at least in our Constitution, the federal government, one of the things that they are supposed to do is to provide protection and safety for the citizens of the United States. In other words, they are to have a military. And in our case, we have an army, we have a navy, we have the Air Force, we have the Marines, we have the Coast Guard. So they have done their jobs with that and and have done it well. And we, as the people who are getting that protection, are are the ones who are supporting that and you know by gosh when I go out to see a uh, an air show it's one of the few times I stand back and say oh I love it this is my my tax dollars at work <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful so and you know I'm sure you can appreciate what I'm talking about but you know as far as Torah we we have to understand that even Hashem knew that this was necessary Now, Hashem did it in the form of a a census. Whenever the nation did a census, the way they did it was with a half shekel. Everyone would throw in a half shekel, and then afterwards, they would have their census. They would count up the half shekels and know how many people they they were and how strong they were in order to uh, determine... Uh, what they have for their military and and so forth. But also, that half shekel was used to buy uh, supplies and things for the the Levites and the the priests, the people who took care of the temple, who basically had no job other than to take care of the temple. So in a sense, without it being called taxation in the Torah, it is in a sense taxation because it took care of people who could not otherwise take care of themselves because they worked for Hashem mm-hmm. and right. and they took care of the temple and and so therefore the people had to help take care of them you'll learn this also in the offering uh, there were many offerings that were actually eaten by the priests and in particular the priests that were on duty they and their family were able to partake in uh, some of the offerings so that's how they ate that's how they stayed alive so even Hashem knew that there was taxation that was necessary now it doesn't account for what governments today consider reasonable and obviously it doesn't matter to liberals or progressive liberals either because what they define it as is responsible and reasonable taxation, which here again leaves it up to the interpretation of each individual. And for us here in the United States, we have many greedy individuals in politics so therefore their definition of reasonable taxation is going to be very very much higher than what i consider reasonable taxation 
Yeah, that that sound about right for you yeah. up there in Canada as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because I, I think we're uh, taxed a little more heavily than you folks are because we have a a, a greater a level of uh, social burden on the tax system uh, th- with uh, you know our health care system here and uh, and many of the other programs that we have. But you guys, uh, you guys have been uh, marching towards that direction down there, which is why this ought to be a real concern to you folks, because it is going to be a higher tax burden placed on all of the uh, population of the U.S. Right. Well, I think that our politicians have gotten somewhat clever as well, because in some states, uh, in fact, quite a few states, they're not able to raise the taxes unless they have a vote. And, you know, let the people determine whether the vote should be imposed or the uh, tax should be imposed or not. Right. And the problem with that is that the politicians have now turned around and rather than calling it a tax, they'll call it a fee. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if you have that up there, but, you know, we have a, a motor vehicle fee. <laughs> uh, Everything nowadays is a fee. It's no longer a tax. It's a fee. <laughs> yeah, well, years ago, uh, uh, and I don't know if this was uh, across Canada, but certainly here in uh, the province of Nova Scotia, they had what was called a hospital tax that was uh, placed on uh, if you were uh, buying a new vehicle. Uh, the tax on that vehicle actually was supposed to go into the fund for uh, for hospitals, for uh, funding hospitals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, that has long since been done away with, and that money just gets uh, put into the general fund with all other taxation that's uh, collected, be it through a fee or through some kind of specific tax, and then all the monies are paid out of that general fund, so there's uh, less accounting for it. And I know one of the criticisms that I hear from people about uh, taxes is that the road tax that's uh, on the fuel that uh, the taxation placed on gasoline up here is supposed to go towards maintaining our roads. And, right. and we know that those budgets keep getting cut back, even though more people are buying gas and more money is being generated by those taxes, that money's not getting directed into keeping the roads repaired. It's going into the general fund to right. <laughs> uh, to support all of these other uh you know government uh, departments that are uh, that are running and as a result uh, every time they create a fee every time they create a special tax it all goes to the same place and gets used for the same things right and just tell us a different lie for the reason we need the tax because we have the same thing here with gasoline it's supposed to take care of the roads same with paying tolls and it invariably the majority of it doesn't Uh, in fact if it did we wouldn't have had a stimulus package that was for so-called shovel ready projects for the interstate road system right so i mean if the original taxation was being used what it was originally stated they wouldn't have had to put in a stimulus package into place that took care of maintaining and building roads etc etc right but you know we could we could be on this (laughs) you know for for weeks and get me pretty jacked up and i you know let's uh, let's move on to something that is pretty important and that is the courts of justice in fact, I would love to see many of these politicians in Washington get what they deserve in terms of what the courts of justice should be doing. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever see that day, but uh, they should be the ones that uh, should be, be going to court. But we have found that, in here in America anyway, that uh, so many people use the courts of justice for even just trivial matters. Everybody's looking to sue for something. And all you have to do is have an attorney tell you that you can sue, and guess what? It's where do I sign? 
and it's it's really turned into a, a tragic uh, situation because originally the reason Hashem gave us the courts of justice was to rule upon uh, violations of the seven Noahide laws. Now we have rulings if somebody trips over a crack in your driveway and skins their knee, uh, they want to sue you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's gotten to a point of, of being ridiculous. And once again, it's people that are being ridiculous. And sadly, it's, it's attorneys who spur these people on. Well, well we have um, in the Torah, we, we do have this principle of uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that is supposed to, that correlates to compensation that compensation is not supposed to be based on my emotional pain and suffering. It's supposed to be about a compensation for what would be otherwise seen as reasonable or, or a, a real loss that was encountered. And one of the things that has driven our insurance rates up, whether it's for our automobiles, whether it's for health insurance and so on, is that people go to court and they hear their case before a jury and a jury emotionally responds to the, the suffering of the individual. And while I don't believe that this is a lack of compassion on my part when I say this, that while the individual is in, may be entitled if there was wrongdoing on the part of the defendant, the person that was brought to court, if there was wrongdoing, then they ought to pay for the wrongdoing. But what so right. many people have gotten involved with is they've gotten involved with sending a message. Let's send right. a message to the gun law or the gun uh, manufacturers. Companies, yeah, Let's right. Let's send a message to the automobile manufacturers. Let's send mm -hmm. a message. And the way they send the message is by giving these outrageous um, compensations or outrageous payments that then get translated into, well, the insurance company pays for those, and then they right. pass the savings on to us. Yeah, in fact, it's gotten to a point now where because of the insurance company's willingness to pay these off, the people are willing to settle the suits out of court because it would cost them more to try and argue it in court. Right. Which yeah. now takes justice out of the hands of people. Not that that would be a bad thing, <laughs> because of exactly what you mentioned. So many of these people, when it comes to damages, are reacting emotionally, that as soon as you react emotionally, as soon as your emotions come into play, reason leaves the, the playing field. Yeah. Uh, you cannot be reasonable and emotional at the same time. You, you just can't do it because uh, emotions and reason don't work together. You, well, the well, mind doesn't work that way. The, the, physio the, the physiology of it, I believe, is that once we become, uh, once once that emotion gets raised in us, that, that what happens is that we end up with less oxygen in the brain because it raises our anger level. And that means that we can't be rational because one of the things that we need to be rational is we need lots of oxygen in our brain. <laughs> mm. Well, um, uh, speaking with somebody who must have little or no oxygen in their brain, uh, I'm sure people are beginning to wonder, okay, what can we do about this? This all sounds very cool, and I agree with it and all of that, but what do we do about it? And I'm going to throw a couple ideas out, and hopefully my lack of oxygen in my brain will not spill forward, and we'll be able to get some reasonable common sense out of this. Anyway, I mentioned earlier in either this show or another show, but it doesn't really matter, 
we we Torah believers and Torah followers react to these types of arguments that liberals put before us because our spirit is rebelling against the ideology. Uh, in our hearts and in our souls, we know that it is wrong. And a lot of people will ask, well, you know, why is that in me? Why do I always feel like somebody's tapping me on the shoulder when I'm about to do something wrong and I feel guilty? And, you know, if, if you're familiar with the Zohar, it teaches about uh, an angel uh, by the name of Layla, uh, who is responsible for all the children that are going to be born. In other words, while during the nine months, while they are, are growing, getting ready to be birthed, they're actually learning Torah. At the moment that they are brought into this world, Layla touches the child's lips, and all that they learn goes into their subconscious. And this is why when we're getting, to do, getting ready to do something wrong, and no one has ever told us it's wrong, but we feel kind of guilty about it, that's the reason why. So the big question is, is what can we as one person, what can I as one person, what can we as my family, what can we do about it? Because... Obviously, progressive liberalism is huge. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we have to realize that, uh, you know, true evil is, is doing anything that is against Hashem. And there's always going to be people that are against Hashem, that they won't believe in God and therefore can't believe in the Torah or, or God's way. And the further we move ourselves away from his word through our actions, in essence, the more evil we actually become. And, of course, at the end of the day, the more your suffering will be in the world to come. I mean, there is a direct correlation. But what can we do? One of the things that I suggest is we have to do our homework on everything, particularly on politicians, because right now there are many politicians right now who are progressives, and that's what they believe. The fact that they have an R or a D after their name is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. They're all progressives, and they all believe in progressive liberalism, and they one, one group happens to move slower than the other group. The other one is a bullet train. The other one is an old-time coal train. <laughs> But they're both heading in the same direction. So we need to do a homework on these people who are running for politics. We need to ask them the nitty-gritty questions. What do you believe? And make them say it in public for all to hear and, and see what has happened in their past life. What have their actions been? The fact that they say, I believe this way, and they happen to agree with you, what were their decisions in the past, uh, you know, past 10 years to, to prove that they are that way? And that's a biggie. Uh, another thing that, that is just absolutely annoying to me is what people are wearing today, what kids are wearing today, especially because the kids for our future are so important. And yet I, I see them wearing some of the most repulsive clothing that I, I, I could ever imagine. Pictures of, uh, you know, Mao Zedong, pictures of Che. These people are murderers. In fact, they did a, a show. I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but this was the most startling thing I'd ever seen. On the Christmas tree in the White House had an ornament on it with a picture of Mao Zedong. This man is responsible for the murder of 70-plus million people. Mm. Now, you tell me how that makes it onto... A, a Christmas tree 
and let's not even talk about the fact that it's an Asherah and it shouldn't even be put up in the first place. But to turn around and decorate it with somebody who's responsible for the deaths of that many people is repulsive. It's repugnant. And anyone who does that is, is to me, they are an advocate of communism and they need to be stopped. But that's just my humble opinion. They have a whole wardrobe for this Che character. Uh, if you remember him, he's you know he's from Cuba. He is a killer, a murderer of people, and he was he promoted himself that he wanted to become nothing but a killer. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to be a killer, and he did everything he could to do it. This man had a belief in the communist way of life, and he happened to do it at the end of a gunpoint. Hitler was no different. Stalin was no different. These people are responsible for the murder of hundreds of millions of people. And yet we have children, we have the parents of children, allowing them to wear their faces as if it's some sort of badge of honor or mm. uh, some sort of hero worship. And it just makes me, pardon my saying so, but it makes me want to throw up. And forgive me, folks, but it just it just really does. So we need to stop. We need to be parents. We need to start being parents, not friends. We need to start raising our kids in the right way. Another thing, people, you know, parents should start clubs to fight against local schools uh, and school districts to start giving our kids proper teaching of history so they can learn about these progressive liberals. Because if they don't, they are going to destroy ours and your society. And here's a big one that's going to hurt me as much as it's going to hurt you folks out there. And that is stop buying movies. Stop buying entertainment that is done by progressives. People like George Clooney. People like Alec Baldwin. Susan Sarandon. Tim Robbins. And there's a whole list of Hollywood progressive liberals. And when I say it's going to hurt me as much as it does you, I'm serious. For example, I loved the Bourne trilogy <laughs> that's out there. And I loved Matt Damon. And uh, he's got a new movies out uh, right now. Uh, one is The Green Zone, that I am not going to go and see anything that this man ever does again as my way of protesting his progressive liberal ideology and, and his willingness to attack verbally uh, and other ways people who believe in the ideology that I believe in. He is a promoter of, of communism. And, uh, you know, we need to stop promoting these people. We need to stop funding their ideology. Stop watching things like ABC News, NBC News, CBS, CNN. They're all progressive liberals. They are not giving you the truth. And I guarantee if you stop watching them, if you start boycotting the advertisers on them, these people will go away. We have the power. The real question is, do we have the will to do something about it? And I'm sorry, Prescott, I, I get off onto these tangents, and, and I know you're, you're, you're pointing to the watch there for me, and I can see it. <laughs> Man, we, we've come to the end of another show, and uh, please, folks, forgive me for you know, uh, uh, spewing here at the end, but I just had to get it out because we are looking for solutions. And I encourage you to write in to us at noahide at israelnationalradio.com and give us some of your solutions. Give us some of your thoughts. And in the meantime, Prescott, my friend, we'll 
See you next week. Shavua Tov. Shalom. Being alone on Shabbos isn't fun. That's why CUOnShabbos.com offers free and safe Jewish hospitality, which helps match guests with host families from Israel, America, and anywhere around the world. It's like Craigslist, Janglo, or JDate, but for Shabbos meals. It's great for both travelers, singles, or just someone needing a good place for Shabbos. Don't spend Shabbos alone. Visit www.CUOnShabbos.com. That's CUOnShabbos, S-H-A-B-B-O-S dot com. Israel is known for its breakthroughs in medical research, including the field of herbal supplements. Prisho Opuntimal is dedicated to the wellness of men and women, particularly in the areas of prostate and urinary tract health. We make it affordable for you to get the very best natural health supplements available. Don't just suffer. Get Priso brand Opuntimal. Order it online at priso.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O dot com.